0: Will it be Hog Heaven in Louisiana? We'll chat with Vicky Foley, trainer of Louisiana Derby contender Hog Creek Hustle, plus a reset of the wider Kentucky Derby picture, and we'll examine the changes coming at Santa Anita, both the immediate situation and the bigger picture. It's all straight ahead on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll, out. And they're off as they move to the top of the straight. It's a hit on the. This is In the Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Boys. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. As the winter reluctantly gives way to spring in much of the nation, we have reached the start of the final round of preps for the 145th Kentucky Derby. That begins with the Louisiana Derby on closing weekend at the fairgrounds. All eyes will be on Risen Star Stakes winner War of Will, who sits atop the Kentucky Derby point standings with 60. If he stays healthy, he's guaranteed a starting spot for the big one the others in Louisiana need to earn their way in, including the fourth-place finisher in the Risen Star, Hog Creek Hustle. Hog Creek Hustle rolls up on the far outside, off the turn. Classy John still in front, in front by three. Classy John all by himself down inside. Hog Creek Hustle with a flying finish. Hog Creek Hustle was way behind and is first under the wire. Hog Creek Hustle by three. Hog Creek Hustle comes in with two wins, a second and a third in six career starts. His trainer is Vicki Foley, who's nice enough to spend a few minutes with us here on In the Gate. He's a closer, drops way out of it early, and comes with one run at the end. So I'm guessing the far outside 11 post is not all that big a problem for you, right?
1: Right. I'm not, you know, that upset about the 11 hole. The 11 holes, 5 with me, and... You know we've got it up upright into the turd that we could get in position and not have any horses hit the down on the inside.
0: He's been competitive in three starts already at the fairgrounds, third in the Sugar Bowl in December, then second in the Lecompte and fourth in the Risen Star. Unfortunately, for you, you've had to deal with war of will in the and the Risen Star. Do you try to keep Hog Creek Hustle a little closer up than usual so that War of Will doesn't get away?
1: Well, we're going to be more into the race. We want to be closer, be in better position, probably about seven, eight lengths off of it instead of 12 or 13. His last race, going into the first turn, he got taken back and you know, we don't want that. We're going to let him get in position and then just stalk and close. There's enough speed on the inside of us. McPeak's horse has got speed. Lamb and Skate, of course, War of Will, and spin-off, Todd Fletcher's horse. So I think there'll be enough speed up front that we'll have the fractions will be good and we'll have something to run down.
0: You're a second-generation trainer. For those of our listening audience who don't know, Vicki Foley's father, Dravo, trained in Kentucky and owned horses that raced there as well as in Ohio and Michigan, tracks that don't exist anymore, by the way. Uh, one of her siblings, Greg, is also a thoroughbred trainer. What was it like growing up around your dad's race horses?
1: Well, we grew up uh, traveling with my dad in the summertime, and going to Ohio when we were the youngest and then when we were young teenagers, we went to Michigan and we would spend our summers there working for my dad and started out walking horses. We were walking horses when we were seven, eight years old and we enjoyed it. And you know, we grew up learning from the bottom, walking horses, grooming horses. We did everything, but we didn't, we didn't gallop horses. So we stayed on the ground.
0: You didn't have any trouble at age eight kind of controlling a 1200 pound animal that could do what he or she wants?
1: Uh, no, because we had grown up around him and we weren't scared. And, you know, if it was a really a tough horse, my dad wouldn't, you know, he let someone else handle it. But, you know, we learned from uh, the best and he taught us well.
0: Several years ago, you told a reporter from Sports Illustrated, Billy Reed, that in your early days as a trainer, you'd had a horse removed from your care and given to a male trainer. Now, owners move horses from trainer to trainer all the time. Did you get the sense back then in the 80s that you lost the horse specifically because of your gender?
1: No, I don't believe it was because of my gender. It it was because of the the horse went to Billy Mott, who was very very uh, successful trainer, Churchill Downs, and it was quite a blow to my ego at the time, but I got over it <laughs> and and moved on.
0: Trainer Vicki Foley joins us here on In the Gate. She'll send out Hog Creek Hustled in the Louisiana Derby to take on War of Will. What has your experience been like lately as far as fitting in in a largely male-dominated
1: industry? You know, it's a tough business. I have been, I believe, you know, very successful in my career. I've been training since 1980. And I've always, you know, ran horses where they belong and had a lot of the same owners. And that says a lot, having the loyalty of, of them. And I'm still here. And I've you know, always had anywhere from 12 to 15 horses that was the max. But, you know, I had made a good good living doing that and had enjoyed it. And it's exciting uh, having a, a horse that is running in the Louisiana Derby and possibly on to the Kentucky Derby.
0: We have a question about the Kentucky Derby, but one thing at a time here. How big a stable would you have if all things were in your favor? Is this the size that you want somewhere between, you know, 10, 20, or would you rather have more?
1: I would have liked to have had more in the earlier years just because numbers, it's nice to have numbers in your stable. It's tough to keep 10 or 12 all going at the same time. But, it, you know, it's a different ball game now. The larger trainers, They have so many, you're running against numbers, and it's tough to compete. And I've been able to stay afloat and compete with the biggest trainers around, and I'm proud of that.
0: You know, on a previous show, we talked about how in Australia, trainers are allowed to combine their forces without, one, giving up their license. They co-train, basically, whereas here that means one trainer would have to give up the license because there can only be one trainer of record. Would you be open to the idea of combining your forces and your expertise in a larger operation?
1: No, I don't believe so. I just like having my own stable and being able to make my own decisions and go from there.
2: Down the center of the track, here comes Hall Creek Hustle with a quick turn of foot. It's Hog Creek Hustle, another Vicky Foley 1st winning at Elvis Hall Creek Hustle wins by just about a length.
0: Let's get back to Hog Creek Hustle and Louisiana. You talked about wanting to keep him maybe a little bit closer. How has the fairgrounds track been playing these last few race days? Is it playing to speed? Is it playing to closers? Is it fair? How do you think it's playing?
1: Well, it's been muddy a couple of days, and, of course, that plays to speed. Hopefully, we're going to have an honest track on Saturday that's, you know, a fair, it's not biased, that it'll be fair to everyone. And, uh, again, I'm glad that there's some speed to go with War of Will and uh, keep him a little more honest.
0: Have you allowed yourself to dream of what it would be like to experience the Kentucky Derby with a starter in the race
1: well it's it's very exciting, and it's a dream come true if that happens, and we're looking forward to that happening, but i as I told uh, another reporter, I really don't know exactly how I feel till till I'm there.
0: Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for a few minutes, Ms. Foley. Best of luck in the Louisiana Derby.
1: Thank you, Barry.
0: We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, the dean of racing journalists, Gary West, resets the derby field now that we're entering the final round of preps. Plus, we'll discuss the impending changes at Santa Anita. Will they solve the immediate problem, and what will they mean in the long term?
2: Long range toddy trying to gun him down. Improbable. Here's long range toddy. Omaha Beach past mid-stretch. Now a length and a half. Game winner trying to gun him down on the money. And Rosario says it's game time. Game winner Omaha Beach right together in Omaha Beach. I think he
0: turned him away. What an incredible run by Omaha Beach. An amazing job of riding considering... I don't think Omaha Beach would have beaten game winner if he hadn't gotten the jump going around that far turn. It was an amazing race. I watched it on TV, but a better perspective would come from somebody who was there. And it is our absolute pleasure to welcome back, and it's been way too long, our good friend Gary West is with us, the dean of racing journalists. Gary, what was it like being there at Oaklawn Park?
2: Well, it was of course a huge crowd there, and I think a very appreciative crowd for the superb racing they saw. And your right, Omaha Beach ran an incredible race. You know, he chased a sprinter for the opening half mile, made the lead after a half mile, and of the four stakes races, his half mile split was the fastest, forty-seven twenty-nine. And then he just kept going, and he did get the jump on game winner uh, coming out of the turn. Game winner went into the turn about a length off the lead, and uh, he's uh, two lengths behind in mid-stretch. And, of course, Omaha Beach held on to win by a nose. And then it was another eight and a quarter lengths back to third. So both those horses, Omaha Beach and game winner, I thought, turned in superb performances. Omaha Beach... He announced that he's a major player. No question about that. Game winner, making his first start in more than four months. Actually, that's what you want to see for a a three-year-old. You want to see him duplicate his best effort at two in his first start at three, and then on that foundation, move forward. So I think game winner is beautifully positioned to move forward. If he can improve off that, uh, he's going to be tough to beat in Kentucky. And I I think we have at least three Kentucky Derby contenders coming out of this rebel. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if we saw the Derby winner at Oakland Park Saturday.
0: Well, not only that, I mean, Omaha Beach with a 96 buyer now long range toddy who won the other division of the rebel earned a 95 which is certainly in the ballpark of a derby winner i think improbable who finished second to him is probably the better candidate going forward first race off a long layoff i think he is really primed to take a bigger step forward how did you see that
2: i agree entirely he would be the the third horse of the horses in the Rebel that would have, I think, a very good chance in Kentucky. Long range toddy. I have to momentarily, anyway, praise this horse because, you know, if you lined up 20 horses and, and picked out the best runners, you would probably pick him among the last couple. Let me rephrase that. I would pick him among the last of the 20. He is an unprepossessing horse. He doesn't look like a runner, but he is all runner. He's just very determined, and you just have to love uh, horses like that. He was compromised in the Smarty Jones stakes by a speed bias, and he got beat a photo. He was stopped at the top of the lane in the southwest Stakes, still ran on to be third, and then he wins the Rebel. But I agree. Improbable ran the better race. Although he was beaten a neck, he was actually entering the first turn five wide. He was four wide in the second turn. Uh, long-range toddy was in the two-path most of the way. He angled out at to the top of the lane, but improbable ran about five to six lengths farther than long range toddy and not to fault drayden van dyke he was on a two to five shot he rode him like a two to five shot he kept him clear and uh, the last thing you wanted was to get him stopped and and get his momentum interrupted and he actually he actually made the lead in mid-stretch and i thought he galloped out well he galloped out actually beyond Long range toddy. So going forward, improbable, I think, is is going to be the better of the two by far. And I, I'll right now suggest that improbable is going to come back to Oakland Park and win the Arkansas Derby.
0: Now, we have seen, by the way, for point of comparison, Omaha Beach, a 96 buyer, long range toddy, a 95. We have yet to see a Kentucky Derby contender earn a 100 buyer and, by point of comparison, justify. Last year's Triple Crown winner, his first four races, including his career debut, were all over 100, which is just incredible. But now every Derby potential contender has run at least once this year. We talked about the ones who ran at Oaklawn Park. Who else really catches your fancy?
2: Well, well, you're right that uh, nobody has really sparkled so far this year. And, and I think that the Kentucky Derby winner is going to be a horse that... Is going to have to run much better than he's running right now. In other words, the determining factor will be who improves the most over the next month and a half and I I like Code of Honor a great deal Fountain of Youth winner although we had a perfect trip at Gulfstream Park Hidden Scroll puts away Global Campaign now he has to deal with Vekoma on the inside Code of Honor and Code of Honor means business, he's into the clear and challenging the favorite as they turn for home, less than a quarter of a mile to go in the Fountain of Youth, Hidden Scroll digs deep but Code of Honor blows past and Code of Honor is on to the front Hidden Scroll trying to hold on to second here's Bourbon War unleashing A big run down the center, but Code of Honor is going to hang on to win the Fountain of Youth three parts of a leg. When I first saw him at two, he was a little bitty horse who was just kind of uh, quick and agile and and athletic. But in the Fountain of Youth, he took a big step forward. He's a much more mature. Bigger, stronger, more aggressive. I-, I-, I was very impressed with him. And he's a late foal, by the way. He's a May foal, so he's going to continue to get better. And And I'm very impressed with Hidden Scroll. Although he lost the Fountain of Youth, this is a lightly-raced colt who was right on the pace there. That was a hot pace, and he didn't totally surrender. Uh, he's going to improve in the Florida Derby. War of Will, the horse that won the Risen Star in New Orleans. Gun, it's the target for war of will who's making his move right
0: now at the quarter pole and it's war of will who leads them into the fairground stretch it's war of will staying on his country house dump had a take up off of heels charging on the
2: outside hog creek hustle they come inside the final 16th it's war of will chased on by country house past the 16th it's war of will war of will from country house then royland war of will wells well of them again won the risen star from country house he wins his races for fun. I'm eager to see him be tested and to see what he can he can come up with. And you know, it's it's wonderful to see uh, such great trainers as Bill Mott and of course Richard Mandela. Have Derby contenders, and Mott has too. Not only Hidden Scroll, but also Tacitus, the winner of the Tampa Bay Derby. He. I thought ran well, but he's got to step up his game if he's going to go to the, the first team, and and he might be able to do that as well. He's a lightly raced colt, also. So those are the ones that have caught my eye so far.
0: We're talking with the great Gary West here on In The Gate. Now, of course, the reason the Game Winner and Improbable both ran at Oaklawn Park, the reason there were two different races called the Rebel Stakes, is because of the problems that continue to plague Santa Anita, the racetrack closed because of 22 fatalities that have occurred there since the start of the meet on December the 26th. There have been some new regulations put in place, and those regulations seem to be changing by the day, but it will involve at some point, maybe not this year, but at some point, a banning of the race day medication Lasix, which is a huge controversy here in the United States. The United States, well, North America, is the only place where Lasix is allowed and there are other regulations happening. Here's the question, Gary West. You have such a long view of how all of this works. Is one, the deaths at the track, really related to the other, the administering of LASIKs on race day?
2: Well, the the, the breakdowns in, in Southern California, at Santa Anita, Reflected a, a breakdown of the entire industry. It's a stain on the sport, and certainly a stain on on uh, Santa Anita. But I think it's a very complex problem, and it needs to be analyzed. When the twenty second horse had a catastrophic breakdown and was euthanized, um, I think her name was Princess Lily B. The Stronic um, leader Belinda Stronic of uh, the Stronic Group announced the, the, the ban of Lasix and, and the ban of the whip, and, and her reaction was driven, I think, by panic, and understandably driven by panic. What we need is a reaction that is driven by science and data and take a reasoned approach. The banning of Lasix, I don't understand that at all because none of these injuries had anything to do with LASIX. I could see uh, limiting some anti inflammatory medication. And in fact, I think the Thoroughbred owners of California have now reached an agreement with the Stronic Group, and LASIX will be banned for two year olds next year, and the LASIX um, level of medication from 10 cc's will be halved for the uh, horses. And, and that's reasonable. But also, there are a number of other um, protocol changes that they're going to employ, such as trainers will have to apply 48 hours in advance to um, work a horse in the morning. And I think these horses will be examined in terms of the medication they've used, in terms of workout patterns. And of course, the racing surface is the the one commonality that everyone's looking at. Perhaps You know, it never rains in Southern California was the assumption, but it does rain in Southern California. And in this past few months, it's rained a great deal, 13 inches or more on Santa Anita. And perhaps this surface can't handle that much rain. And on those days, we just need to cancel racing. Um, That would be an approach that I think many people would welcome. But it's up to the entire industry to look at this and to accept responsibility. It's not just Santa Anita. It's not just the the racetrack owners, it's also the horse owners and the trainers and even us fans and the betting public who, who make demands on these horses who are incredible creatures that define themselves and discover themselves for our entertainment. We all have a responsibility to ensure their safety.
0: So you're assuming that all these fractured divisions of this industry are going to work together, and the last time that happened was when?
2: Uh, <laughs> well, that's a good point. That's a good point. This industry is, I think, um, handcuffed by its, its lack of cooperation. And if any good comes from this, it's, it's that the alarms are ringing everywhere. And I think the industry is looking at itself more clearly and candidly than it has in the past. And, and I think we'll take
0: some, some action. We have detailed on this show the push particularly in South Africa, to do away with the riding crop. They carded uh, some racetracks now what are called hands and heels races, meaning no riding crop. And the riding crop may be a thing of the past in California. Once again, does this have anything to do with what has happened?
2: I don't know. That has to be studied. To my knowledge, none of these horses that broke down were under the whip when it happened. But that doesn't mean that that the the whip is a contributing factor to uh, breakdowns. The new agreement that the uh, whip will only be used as a corrective measure, a corrective safety measure, that will be very difficult to enforce. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Victor Espinosa hit American Pharaoh 30-some-odd times in the stretch of the Kentucky Derby, or else they might not have been a Triple Crown winner that year.
2: Yes, it's, as I said, the whip, the whip will be used as a corrective safety measure, but does that mean the argument, I had the whip, him or they were going to run over the top of me. Will that argument justify its use? I don't know
1: this
0: is very interesting it changes by the minute and no matter when we post a show it seems like it'll be dated almost immediately thereafter this is a very fluid situation but a wonderful perspective from somebody who has seen so much of this industry gary west it is such a pleasure to have you back thank you so much
2: as always barry thank you and and i i enjoy always talking with
0: you our thanks to gary west and to vicky foley Sports betting, legal or otherwise, is a thriving industry because a gambler thinks he knows more than the rest. He doesn't have to work that hard to find available data. Interpreting it provides the acid test. It's only now that stick and ball sports have gone to analytics, deep dives of data to measure what we see. Racing's had those kinds of numbers for more than a 100 years, but here that type of data is not free. The Thoroughbred Idea Foundation, an industry think tank, is calling for the stats model to change. That stats would not be considered a commodity of sorts, they'd be a marketing tool, which may seem strange. We think of commemorative hats and fancy slogans as marketing. You can't wear a page of numbers on your head. But now when sports bettors demand to have those numbers available withholding them means your sport may soon be dead you can get us on our youtube channel by searching in the gate podcast you can get us on soundcloud as well get us at the itunes store or TuneIn.com. you can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had and now you can subscribe to In the gate in the listen tab of the espn app for the full in the gate experience subscribe now in the listen tab of the espn app And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's in the gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.